Welcome to an Informed Life Radio on 1150 AM KKNW. I'm your host, Bernadette Pager, and with me today is Javier Figueroa. He joins us from Washington State, and I am streaming to you from uh, Tennessee, Northeast Tennessee to be exact. And um, I want to thank uh, the many members of Informed Choice Washington who make this broadcast possible, and also thank CHD TV and, and Children's Health Defense for also making this um, broadcast possible um, today and, and every week. This is such an important um, show, a great, at least we feel, in order to try to bring really vital information um, in this age of continued censorship, of continued really alarming disinformation coming from official sources, you know, uh, it's more important than ever that we exercise our free speech, free speech rights and and speak up. And I'm a little bit somber today. We've got two hours of radio. Our first hour, we're going to be bringing on a nurse. We'll be bringing her on in just a minute. But I want to let you know in our second hour, um, we are going to be paying a tribute to Robert LeMay, the state trooper. Um, and we'll be uh, rebroadcasting the interview we did with him on December 10th. Uh, some of you may have heard that uh, Robert LeMay recently passed away, and he was a courageous soul. And so our next hour will be devoted to him. So I hope you'll stay tuned for that next hour and also learn of ways that you can honor his life. Um, I've got some information to pass on there. So um, I guess, uh, you know, with no further ado, let's just go ahead and bring on our, our guest her name is Laura Gabriel, and she is an RN with 15 years of diverse nursing experience. I'm going to have her come on. I believe we only get her audio today, but we'll have her come in and talk to us if she's Absolutely. available. Is she available? Hi. <laughs> Yay. Me. I'm here. I would love to be on camera with you all. I would love you. You know, we'll have to have you on again. I'm sorry that we're having some technical issues and not able to bring your beautiful face to um, to the viewers. But I'm glad we at least get your your voice and you know insights and expertise. So, um, so Laura, welcome to the show. And let could could we start rather than me rambling on about who you are um, and your history? Could you just give us a little bit about your background? Sure. I've been a nurse since 1996. I graduated from the University of Washington. And since then, I have had been really fortunate to have a whole diversity of nursing experience. Um, I've worked in hospitals, clinics, public health, um, home visiting, uh, inpatient, outpatient. Um, so a whole variety of settings. The theme of my entire career has been maternal child health. And that wow. is my passion is supporting um, families in the transition to um, birthing children and raising families. 
and I've worked on the whole continuum from fertility and conception to obstetrics, high risk OB, um, labor and delivery, um, mm -hmm. pediatrics, um, neonatal, home visiting, just a whole lot of things. I did. I have done also some um, pulmonary clinic. I worked for a famous pulmonologist. I've worked some med surge, but my true passion is maternal child health. Okay. And a few years ago, I decided that because I'm such a big picture thinker and I wanted to do more with my nursing degree than just work in the home in the at the bedside, I went back to school to get my doctorate of nursing practice, which has been a long-held dream of mine. That is fabulous. And could can you tell us what were you doing just before you know COVID hit? What what sort of nursing were you working in then? That's a great question. I was working at a large urban hospital in Western Washington in the uh, in a pulmonology clinic, very high risk pulmonology clinic, seeing very high risk patients with a whole variety of different lung diseases, wow. mostly chronic lung disease for a, a famous pulmonologist. And that's what I was doing. And that's where I was when early 2020, when we first started hearing about COVID, and I was there at the hospital as the whole response started rolling out. Your, your insight in, is so valuable here um, because you were really there at, at Ground Zero in Washington as things were newly being learned. And it was also being learned in those first few months that after the virus stage ends, mm -hmm. it, it moves into more the pulmonary and the cardio or not, would cardio be the right word? Um, yeah. Cardiac? Um, My understanding is it's inflammatory. Inflammatory. It's, it's, okay. I mean, people, people that, um, and I have to say my son is going to be coming home from school. So I'm going to shut the door to avoid the interrupt. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Unplug your phones. He knows, yeah. I have, he knows I'm on. I'm okay. In, okay. Sorry about that interruption. That's okay. Um, it, you know, some people don't develop develop an inflammatory response. You know, not everyone who gets sick with COVID develops an inflammatory response. But for those who do, that's the second stage. Okay, and that's that's where the danger lies. Correct. I would say, and first thing you know, I want to preface this: I'm I'm mm -hmm. not an expert in COVID. It's mm -hmm. been an interest and a passion of mine, and something I've followed. Um, and I, you know, I certainly can't give any medical advice. Everything I say is my own perspective and my own opinion yeah. as one person. So there's my yeah. disclaimer. Okay. Yeah. Um, and, and Bernadette and Javier gave the, give the same disclosure disclosures. Right. We like to act like doctors and lawyers. And <laughs> exactly. Everything. But yeah, you know, we're just talking, we're just here mm -hmm. to talk and, yeah. and, you know, it seems like it's the, it's the average person's voice. It is the the nurse and the doctor's voice who's actually on the ground doing mm -hmm. the work that is not being listened to, that's not being heated, that is not directing policy. It makes no sense. Yeah, you hit the nail on the head of what I think the the misstep in our response is, is that our, our policies <clears throat> are guided by politics. Mm-hmm not by um, a diversity of voices. And you mm -hmm. asked Bernadette a great question. You said, you know, what is the danger in that? In that? Right. And I would say that the danger is always mm, a lack of correct medical treatment for mm -hmm. any. And um, with COVID, what I have seen professionally and personally, is my opinion, is 
medical mismanagement. Mm -hmm. That we have very safe, very effective early home multi-dug treatment. Um, that the lack of that is the danger. The lack mm -hmm. of the lack of information about how to take care of yourself and your family by informed mm -hmm. providers. And we also have prevention. I mean, the government of El Salvador is doing, has been doing commercials and health promotion of making sure that everyone in the country has access to vitamin D. Wow, El Salvador? El Salvador, yep. I've seen their, yeah, I've seen their commercials. Um, you know, just a completely, for contrast, a completely different kind of public health messaging. Yeah. I think probably one of my greatest disappointments is that where is the health messaging about taking care of your immune system, mm -hmm. your stress, exercise, yeah. sleep, vitamin D, uh, community right. connection and support, all mm -hmm. these things that support our well-being. Exactly. It's been completely missing in our public health messaging. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You, you echo so many tens of thousands of professionals saying mm -hmm. the same thing. And you, you just, it, it shows the systemic problems with the entire medical industry. And I guess the fact that we can call it an industry is part of the problem. <laughs> you know, um, the, the profits before people has never been more obvious. Um, so, you know, when did you begin to realize, Laura, that the response to COVID was not following, say, common sense routes that mm -hmm. things that you thought should be done weren't being done. Did, was there a time you began to observe that? I would say that early on, what I saw was that what I observed with my own eyes going on in the hospital was very different from the media portrayal of what was going on in the hospital where I was working. Oh, okay. So describe to us the difference. I would say the main difference is that there were reports of crises and, um, you know, the hospital being overrun and overwhelmed. And it was actually uh, empty in many places. And there wasn't mm -hmm. work for some nurses. Um, and an incredible amount of nurses were being um, freed up to work in different parts of the hospital because they were canceling routine surgeries, routine mm -hmm. procedures that was doing, you know, I felt like the response was doing, in my opinion, you know, more, more harm than good and was really being sensationalized. And this was early on the epidemic when I had as many questions, excuse me, pandemic, <laughs> um, pandemic as I had as many questions as everyone else, but there were those mm -hmm. things about this mismatch between what I saw with my own eyes in the hospital and how it was being sensationalized in the media that made me first start looking, looking into it. And then I would say it was about, um, it was a, a whole year later when I started learning about, um, different kinds of uh, early home treatment, other kinds of drugs that were being used and wondering why we weren't talking about home treatment. What I saw was that people were being told, and we all know that we, we most, we've heard this. Um, if you get a positive test, stay home until you can't breathe and then go to the hospital. And then you know, it, they, the doctors weren't doing anything for people. Mm -hmm. And then I slowly started to learn about all the things that people can do, both preventatively and early on in a diagnosis to take care of their health. And I wasn't hearing that in the public health messaging. 
No, not at all. And I, I don't know when you became aware of the organization Informed Choice Washington, um, but back in August of 2020, we did petition the Washington State Board of Health asking them to convene a committee of you know frontline practitioners so that there would be this open forum to mm -hmm. discuss discuss the protocols that they were using um, and then make that available to the public so that you know not only could good information be shared, but then the public could have some hope that yes. treatments are available. Um, they said it was a great idea, but it wasn't in their wheelhouse that the federal government should be mm -hmm. doing it. But the federal government was actively suppressing these sort of conversations. Mm -hmm. Various branches of the government were uh, threatening the licenses of doctors like the wonderful Dr. Brownstein, who dared to talk about his protocol and interview his recovered patients. Um, mm -hmm. You know, so it it has it it went from just bungling um, to outright obvious attempts to prevent early treatments, mm -hmm. and um, yeah, yeah. Javier, have you got any comments on that? It's just I, I just I'm, I'm I know. still so stunned that it's it's so blatant and yet it continues. Yeah. I remember that early on, and I think I can uh, corroborate. Well, I know I can corroborate some of Laura's. Uh, so, sorry, Dr. Gabriel's. Uh, uh, I'm not a doctor. <laughs> you have a PhD, right? No, um, I was. I am in graduate school, working toward a um, a doctorate in nursing as a nurse All practitioner, right. which is different from a PhD. So I'm still a graduate student. Well, congratulations, and my condolences as well. <laughs> 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 so I, I was noticing that uh, as early as April 2020, I actually uh, uh, went over to Harborview and to Swedish to basically look up because I was hearing all these reports of, you know, it's inundated, we're flooded, uh, the hospitals are overwhelmed, and it was like a ghost town in both places. And Harborview mm -hmm. is, the, for, you know, one of the trauma one uh, surgery, it's trauma one units in the state of Washington. And Swedish, you know, usually sees a lot of uh, emergency cases. And I talked to the people that were there at the tents and they said, no, we're, we're not seeing that many people come in. Mm -hmm. And the waiting rooms were mostly empty. Mm -hmm. And that was yeah. the same April, May, June, July, mm -hmm. just mm -hmm. quiet. And again, most of the reports that we hear about hospitals being overrun and overwhelmed. Well, of course, if you, if you tell people that you, you know, you're not going to, you can't work there anymore and you discharge a, a good portion of your staff and then you basically say, Hey, we're going to assign 40% of our beds to COVID. Mm -hmm. You're going to take away any capacity for anything other than COVID. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, did, I didn't understand why. I mean, you can, you can cancel somebody's appointment fairly quickly. I mean, why they didn't wait to see a need before they canceled. They just anticipate. I mean, they decided before there were even a handful of cases to do such drastic measures, you know, almost hoping, that's like they were hoping for cases. It just was, it, it made no sense to me. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So, so there you are, you know, you're working um, at, in a prestigious location for, and I'll forgive me, was it a pulmonologist that you were working for, you said? You said a, at a large urban Western Washington. Yeah. Place. Yeah. Is there, can you kind of take us through a little bit what began to happen? Um, 
Well, what happened was um, we were all, all the nurses took turns being furloughed, which means furlough, <laughs> furlough is a word for um, go home um, without pay for a week or two weeks or more. So we were all, they canceled all kinds of procedures and clinics and, and surgeries and all those nurses didn't have work. So during the height of this, mm-hmm. we were um, on furlough. Mm-hmm. And then what happened because of the mandatory furlough was the nurse, and I'm speaking from the nurse's perspective, is we were left, you know, running clinics single-handedly and short-staffed. It was just, you know, the, the, <laughs> the domino effect of the policies from the COVID response in so many different ways did more harm than COVID itself to people. Yeah. So, so there, so, so there we were, that was this, that was a lot of the summer of 2020. Yeah. Was short staffing due to furloughs. Um, and what I mostly saw um, was that our, our clinic schedules were wiped out because people didn't come in. Right. They were afraid to leave their homes. People got the messaging that if they went outside, the virus was going to get them. I had, you know, my 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 patients that I case managed calling me saying, "Is it okay if I go outside on my deck? I haven't been outside on my own deck for weeks. Is it safe?" I mean, the people were scared to death, and because yeah. people were scared to death for their lives. Mm-hmm. Um, changed their lives radically and people didn't come in for their appointments. Right. People didn't come in for their regular medications, for their treatments, for their testing. And people got very sick. And then when they did come in and present to the hospital, they were very, very sick. And that was all preventable. If they wow. were scared yeah. to death to leave, to walk out their front door. So Laura, a quick question for you. I, I don't know if this is something that was done in, or were you, were you able to see any of this, but were, was there a push to put people on ventilators yeah. uh, almost by default if they came in with COVID and COVID symptoms? Uh, I can't speak to that personally. I never worked on the floor. Understood. Um, I was, okay. I, it was, there was a general request for inexperienced nurses to be quickly trained and put on floors outside of their skills and experience. And um, not all nurses were comfortable doing that. Uh, that's that's shocking. Yeah. Yeah. Especially that's with something that is considered an ICU or a highly infectious mm-hmm. agent. That is very, very shocking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, yeah. Go ahead, Bernadette. Well, I was just gonna say, it's equally shocking that I saw this bill drop in Washington. I need to go back and, and read it again. It was something about authorizing high school students who are training to be nurses to be able to go work in hospitals because of the shortage of nurses. So the absurdity of what is happening is just, it, I, yeah, just like, who's running this show? I mean, it's just ridiculous. It, to me, To me, it shows that public health, the entire system, has become so unwieldy and massive and controlled from such a far distance from what's actually happening on the ground in the hospitals with patients that they they just simply cannot function. And that's that's assuming that they are trying to function properly. And we see an awful lot of evidence that they're trying to undermine um, everything that's happening. But even if we give it the most positive 
you know, magical spin. They're just dangerously incompetent and unable to react properly. The whole system absolutely needs to be revamped and decisions made on the local level. Um, Laura, do you see that ever happening? Do you see that, you know, all of these dictates that came down to hospitals kind of from above, Mm -hmm. um, from a policy level, do you think that restructuring could happen to more empower those who work in healthcare to make these decisions? Yeah, that is a great question. And I think that local control and um, more control by the people giving the bedside care would really change the system for the better. Yeah. Um, I know that a lot of hospitals, especially hospitals associated with universities, are very bureaucratic and they tend to really reward um, compliance and and, and, and they tend to really discourage um, innovative thinking and speaking out. They're very, it, you know, it happens inevitably in organizations that be very large and they become very yeah. bureaucratic and yeah. very slow to respond and to change. I have seen models of, the most hopeful models I've seen are on a much smaller scale are actually integrated clinics or nurse practitioner and nurse-led clinics. Yes. More democratic, more shared model of decision-making, even shared decision-making with patients um, that are smaller and more responsive. And if those kind of clinics are allowed to flourish, then we can see better care. And I know because of the mandates, some of the nurse chat groups I'm on talk about, um, you know, alternative clinics where people can get care, um, where there is medical freedom, where people don't have to take experimental injections to get their jobs, and where there can be, you know, nurse life. Well, you know, that might be one of the silver linings of this COVID mess is that this giant monster of a medical industry does fragment because of the response and these new, smaller, more intimate, responsive um, clinics begin to emerge. I know they're merging all over the United States. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it's it's being driven by this need for, for real health care, for exactly. that real patient-nurse-doctor relationship to be allowed um, to operate in the way it, it really should. So mm-hmm. I'm very hopeful. Now, um, you and I met, Laura, because there was a Washington State Board of Health meeting um, where there was some confusion over what was on the agenda. Uh-huh. And and what it did, though, was sort of good. I mean, really, I mean, it's, I, I, I don't like that there was mis, it was like misinterpretation and misunderstanding led to giant misinformation that was spread right. everywhere. However, it brought a lot of welcome... Um, visitors to the Board of Health. I mean, people seeing that the Board of Health even existed, who didn't even know it existed before, to see the work that they do and see what they're responsible for. And this is a very good thing, you know, for people to be paying more attention to those entities and agencies that have an awful lot of power to decide what we do. And in this case, there was a lot of concern over what um, the Board of Health can do because they have the authority to decide what um, is recommended for our school kids. 
and right now they have um, convened a TAG, a technical advisory group that will be meeting, they say two to three times. We don't have the dates yet, but any, any day now, <laughs> but we will keep um, listeners informed. And it will be an open, um, there were two or three open meetings where you can attend. They will be via Zoom, although there won't be public comment. And they're gonna be reviewing the uh, information about the COVID shots for children and deciding whether or not they're going to recommend the Board of Health put it on the school required list. So, Laura, do you have any comments about that that you'd like to make? Do you want to go into that? Do you want to discuss um, COVID shots for kids or even for adults for that matter? I would be happy to talk about COVID shots for kids because as a maternal child health nurse, this is really near and dear to my heart. Um, and I was at that Board of Health meeting and I was signed up and I got my 58 seconds to testify. <laughs> Good. And um, I'm, I'm, I'm incredibly concerned about this. And I think that there's a lot that could be said, but if I was going to speak briefly, it comes down to the way all medical decisions are made, which is risk versus benefit. Yep. You're going to have a surgery or not have a surgery. For example, you weigh risk versus benefit. And I think, and the evidence is clear, that children are at statistically zero risk from COVID. And they are at statistically high risk from the COVID shot. So there is no risk-benefit ratio for doing this for children from a health standpoint. You know, um so many agree with you, and yet they continue on. Some of the, um, I was really alarmed. I was driving home from Nashville the other day, um, and in 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 the, in the Nashville area, sometimes the only radio stations you can get, I like talk radio, that come in clearly um, is NPR, National Public Radio, various stations that you go in and out of. So I listen, and it's really good for me to listen. I used to be a contributor to KUOW back in Seattle until one incident, which what I won't go into, but then I really realized on certain subjects, you're not going to get, <laughs> you're not going to get a balanced story. But anyway, they were doing this whole story on Mommy groups are all a chatter because they're so excited that the vaccine might soon be available for mm -hmm. six-month-old to four-year-olds. And it was this whole story interviewing parents who were so eager, like they could let go of fear for their children. And I was, I was screaming at the radio, why are you afraid for your children? Why have they made you afraid for your children? It makes no sense here. And it just, it's heartbreaking. It's just... Absolutely. It's like you described that person who asked if they could go out on their deck. Yeah. This this fear that has a natural fear that has been put into. And of course, with your children, any decision you make for yourself is one thing, you know, mm -hmm. you're like, eh, I'm not going to do that or I'm going to do that, you know. But there seems to be when you make a decision for your child. Sometimes self-doubt can creep in because you want, you love your children. So you love your child more than you love yourself, right? Yeah. I mean, their DNA is in you and it's in them. I heard that your child's DNA is even like at the base of your neck if you're a mom, you know, anyway. Um, <laughs> and you're like, and so you just don't know what to do. And I think that you're really ripe for, for people to make you afraid that you're doing mm -hmm. the wrong thing. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Um, I, I would say fear is the, the common thread that's running through everything. And mm -hmm. I fear is a choice. You know, you can choose to be afraid or you can choose to be empowered and unafraid. And I like that. And I think that people have been very, very manipulated by fear. And once yeah. you start to look through the lens of how, how is this news article manipulating me through fear? How is this NPR broadcast? Could it be manipulating me by making me afraid? You start to see it everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, on, on the flip side, those of us who are trying to get truth out there, I, I think in sometimes we may be also somewhat guilty of instilling fear. You know, we feel like we are right in, in mm. telling people that you, you can't make an informed decision if you don't have information. Um, and it is difficult to get it, get it out there. Sometimes the messaging, you know, the shots are dangerous. That's well, period, right? So it's it's difficult to say that in a way. Although what we try to um, and don't forget what you're going to say there, Javier. Oh yeah. I, I like to try to balance. You know, you don't offer a problem without offering a solution. The problem is the shots are dangerous. The solution is we don't need them. Treatments exist. Early treatments exist. Late treatments exist. Um, you know, we got this. Natural immunity is strong and broad and. Even the CDC admits superior to the shots. So go ahead, Javier. Yeah. So one of the differences that when you try and instill fear to push uh, people to do something, that is uh, manipulative. And mm -hmm. what we're trying to do is uh, we're we're following the principle of primum non nocere, first do no harm, mm -hmm. which is instituted in basic not only to medical practice but to common law. So it's not instilling fear; it's instilling caution, and that's a very different thing than instilling fear. Fear is trying to manipulate you to move somewhere. Instilling caution is asking you to look at both sides or three sides or four sides. So it's a very, very different approach. Yeah. 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 So, um, you know, solutions. What I really liked when you reached out to me, Laura, was, you know, you wanted to talk about solutions. You know, we, I think the, everybody by now knows a lot of the problems. And so maybe we can tackle a little bit. Let's talk about a problem and then maybe what a solution can be. <laughs> I would you know? love to have that conversation. That's actually one of my favorite topics. I believe that there are at least 10 creative solutions for every problem. Yay. And, uh, and you know, that's the opposite of a place of fear is a mm -hmm. place of generativity and creativity and hope, and that always exists. All righty. So where do, where do you want to begin? <laughs> which, which fear should we start with? <laughs> <laughs> I'll let you lead on that, Bernadette. Um, well, you know, I think uppermost in a lot of people's minds is, is the shots for children. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, uh, like there, and there, there's so many different fronts here. I'm, I'm pulling up um, on another computer looking over there, the FDA um, is being asked by Pfizer to approve the shots for kids six months to four years, even though their clinical trials show they're of no benefit, that they didn't, they, they weren't effective at all. Um, and yet they're going for uh, trying to get EUA. Now, again, on that national public radio station I was listening to out of Nashville, 
the reason being given in this news story was that, gosh, if, if they're doing clinical trials on a third dose to see if that does it. Mm -hmm. And so if parents start now in the first two doses, when they approve the third dose, they'll be ready to go. That, that, that is was, nonsense. That was their reasoning. So that's so yes. sounds medically ethical. Yeah, exactly. Unbelievable. And, and, <laughs> so we're in agreement here. So the problem is, <laughs> how do you solve a problem like Maria? No, how do you solve a problem <laughs> where it's so distant from us? So the distant, you know, FDA is this big entity above us that doesn't listen to what we're saying. We need to find, obviously, you know, mm -hmm. there's campaigns to write to, in fact, if you go to the Informed Choice Washington website, the most re recent posts um, that we reposted from Children's Health Defense by Toby Rogers, PhD, he mm -hmm. gives you the email and mailing address of every single member of the Verbat Committee. So you can write to them and tell them why you think it's a stupid idea to give EUA to Pfizer for these babies and toddlers. I have sent those emails myself and yay now and um, February, I think, is it the 14th when That's this meeting is scheduled? The 15th question. It's sometime in mid February. I'd love to clarify mm -hmm. that date. Um, I plan on emailing. I think we should all inundate them with emails because mm -hmm. they will know one, at least that they're being watched. That they're yes. Doing this with public scrutiny and that this does not, that the, the masses don't support this. Yeah, it says uh, they, um, February 15th is when they need to, the latest they need to get these. So it's somewhere, you're right, mid-February. Mid-February, um, yeah. yeah. that this meeting's going to take place. So number one, positive action is go go find our our posts there, either on our website, informedchoicewa.org or Children's Health Defense and The Defender. Look up the article by Toby Rogers, um, published yesterday. Um, inundate them. Step two, um, I guess we have to share, I would think, with everybody that we know, all the parents that we know, the actual status of the clinical trials for children, as well as the, the concerns already seen in adults, so that these parents, um, when they begin to be um, bullied, should this go on to get EUA, and I fully expect it will because of the way they've been operating, um, that they will be able to withstand the fear pressure being aimed at them. Yeah. If I was a mom with um, a child between six months and four months of age, and I was thinking about this and I was concerned and wanted to do the best thing out of my love for my child, what, what would either one of you say to me? If I just said, you know, I just don't know. What, what do you think about these shots for my six month to four-year-old? Well, <laughs> I, you know, I think we for it depends on, you know, it really depends on where somebody is on the journey. Yeah. I, I think a parent asking that question is pretty far back on the road of understanding the risks of these products, because if they knew just a little bit more, they wouldn't have even asked the question. They would not be right. even considering it. Mm -hmm. um, and I would have to like find out sources that they they believe they can get accurate information from 
-hmm. So I might want to start that parent on a journey with what was submitted to the FDA by Pfizer mm -hmm. and start them with maybe a couple other ex excerpts of past VRBAC meetings and ACIP meetings so they can begin to understand how decisions are made on very little evidence. Mm -hmm. And then once the vote is made to authorize something, whatever concerns or gaps of knowledge existed do not get passed down to the consumer. It goes from these, this information, which is alarming, the yes vote, and then it becomes suddenly safe and effective for whatever age. Mm -hmm. So I would send them to that information so they can see what these authority agencies saw, and then they can make up their own minds. <laughs> what do you guys think? So well said, Bernadette. And I would love to see you package all of that into a, a blog post on, on your website uh, so that those of us who want to have those conversations um, with the people around us uh, can have that as a template. Because, okay. it, yeah, I think that's a, a great creative solution right there. Okay, I got there my work go. right out for me. There we go. There you go. <laughs> No, it, it just amazes me. I mean, uh, it, it was certainly eye-opening two years ago to start watching the whole FDA approval process and realize how broken it is. Uh, and I mean, some of the stuff is really, from my perspective, you know, uh, head-slapping incredible that they're allowed to do this uh, just based on, you know, even under when they have federal regulations saying that you have to look at the totality of scientific evidence to make a decision, how narrow it, the the amount of information that they take in. Mm -hmm. Pfizer, the approval for Pfizer and Moderna just looked at the clinical trials for Pfizer and Moderna. They never looked at anything like uh, public health. And they also looked at only the information before it was unblinded. There you go. So they're going back and looking at data from like the first 60 days or something. I don't know. I, I have to go. I haven't looked at the most recent, but it's it's information that's, I believe, pre-Delta, isn't it? It's definitely pre-Omicron. Mm -hmm. So even if the information had been accurate, which we doubt now that more and more is coming out from that um, FOIA request, mm -hmm. it's irrelevant at this point, right. CDC has admitted with Delta variant, natural immunity was far superior. And CDC has admitted that the vaccine is not protecting against Omicron. So what? why are they licensing <laughs> Pfizer and Moderna, which addresses a virus that is no longer circulating? Absolutely. That is such an excellent point. And you're right. Um, multiple agencies are admitting that. In the recent days, there was an ACIP, the Advisory Committee for Immunization Practices, meeting to give a, a BLA, a full approval to Moderna. Mm -hmm. And I watched the presentation. I watched the whole thing. And they admitted in the presentation that the vaccine data that they're basing the decision on has nothing to do with Omicron. Mm -hmm. And of Omicron is a complete unknown, but yet they're pushing this through. It just, as a nurse, I've been in, in the healthcare field a long time, and this just doesn't make sense. It you know, doesn't. doesn't make sense. It does make sense, though, if you follow the money. You know, I think that with what's going on these days, if you want to know what's true, look at who's being censored. If you want to know what's going on, 
follow the money. And yeah. if you look at it from a money perspective, that's the only lens that I can see it through that starts to make sense. Mm -hmm. And that's the wrong reason yeah. of care. Right. right. Yeah, I, I agree with you. There's a wonderful podcast. Oh, I might be a year old by now. I can't remember. Um, it's the Dark Horse podcast. Uh, mm -hmm. I'm bad with it. Who, somebody pull up his uh, wine. Brett, Heather, Brett and Heather Weinstein. Weinstein. Excellent. Um, Sorry, Weinstein. Weinstein. Okay. Weinstein. I, I, I love that um, podcast of his. I wish I had more time to listen to all of them. Um, but he, I forget who he was with that time. He's interviewed some of the, the top people, uh, science and medicine having to do with COVID. And he's such a quiet, thoughtful man. He's got a PhD in anthropology, isn't it? Um, no, is that, evolutionary biology. Evolutionary biology, is it? Okay. Yeah. Well, I know that he sort of studies human behavior and, and, and societies and what motivates them. And he, he said in looking at everything, the only conclusion you can draw is the decisions are made based on money. It's the only thing, like you said, Laura, it's the only thing that makes sense. And, you know, so it's not just Bernadette and Javier and Laura saying it, you know, it's, it's people who study um, motivation, you know, and have degrees Absolutely. in it. Absolutely. And yeah. again, these are, these are, these are folks that, uh, you know, Brett and Heather are both on the left side of the political spectrum, uh, progressives, Democrats yeah. that were run out of evergreen, uh, based on the fact that they wanted to have, you know, a discussion and discuss ideas and they were pushed out for administrative political reasons. Yeah. And now they're doing their podcast yeah. and, uh, you know, it's there. I think the podcast you're referring to is number one, one, uh, 112, the scramble to protect the elites. Mm. Okay. In which, you know, about. yeah. Why, why are they doing this? Like you said, uh, Laura, it's follow the money, mm -hmm. who benefits, who gets hurt. And at the end of the day, that's all you need to do because yeah. money really tells you what's being pushed and why. Okay. And I think, um, I think we have now hit on another empowering thing that individuals can do to take action. The problem is money corrupts. The solution is stop giving them your money. Yes. Right. Easier said than done, but we can do that. Now, like we talked about earlier, some of these wonderful doctors and nurses are going to small independent clinics. If you can afford it, if you can migrate there out of these big insurance fed systems, do that. Begin Absolutely. to help support this new um, health paradigm that's mm -hmm. arising. Um, anytime, you know, you can avoid sending money their way. <laughs> that's what we need to do now. Um, I also love to listen to the coffee and COVID uh, or read every morning, the coffee and COVID, um, post by, um, Jeff Childers. And he was talking about how Facebook is really being hurt by people leaving financially. Mm -hmm. And it appears that some of these big entities that are big on the censorship, they're now feeling it in the pocketbook. And so some things are being backpedaled a little bit, you know, mm -hmm. So uh, we have a lot more power than we think, right? We absolutely do. We have more power over our own health than we think. And I think part of um, not giving uh, systems of harm, I'll call them, part of not giving systems of harm your money statement. Is, is taking responsibility for your own health. Are you going to yeah. give away the authority for your well-being and your health? 
to the government and just follow their proclamations or and wait till you get sick? Or are mm-hmm. you going to exercise and sleep well and eat well and love well and have a great life and be healthy and exercise and all the things that are you taking authority and responsibility for your own health? And I yeah. think that is one of the really beautiful things coming out of the many gifts of this time. Is yes. People, um, not being victims anymore and not just... Um, taking the word of authority without question, but there's more and more people waking up and becoming their own health authority and being aware of where, where their money is going to and what is it supporting. Mm-hmm. And we're also seeing that in the schools. You know, more and more parents are taking their kids out of school. <laughs> yes. So seeing it in I'm, many levels. I'm, I'm so glad you brought that up, Laura, because right now it's what's funny is that they're trying to push a bill that they've been trying to push since 2019 uh, here in the state of Washington, which is trying to force or at least uh, allow to take the average of years past to basically front load, uh, you know, the, the number of students that they have in each school so they don't have to account for day to day variants of kids that are coming to school because they're seeing drop they're seeing drops in the school attendance because parents are now saying, we're going to, we're going to keep our child at home. We're going to homeschool them, which mm-hmm. reduces their budget. So they're trying to circumvent it by an administrative process or legislative process by just basically saying, we're going to take the average of prior years to basically smooth out the accounts, smooth out the budgets for each school system. <laughs> SB 5563. <laughs> well, I mean, sorry, my apologies. This is not promoting or telling people how to vote. It's just a uh, observation that I had. Well, you know, we fund this episode through our our C4, Javier. So, you know, we can lobby a little bit. It's all right. (laughs) Just a little bit. You know, and and speaking of another another empowering thing, I feel like I'm... doing too much talking, Laura, but so I want to get, I want to get your input here. Um, But Everybody, track bills in wherever you are, wherever you're listening to the show. If you're in the United States, go to Build Track 50. Build Track 50. You can sign up for free. Choose the state that you're in where you want to track bills. Do some search terms. Begin to look. You can you can have it begin to send you email alerts when those bills are going. Um, Informed Choice Washington uses that. It's fantastic. If you want to see the bills that we are watching at Informed Choice Washington, just go to our um, look for the legislative. Or let's see. I have to look to see what what tab at the. Let me look up there. Vaccine law on the menu, and then the first one is bills. Click on that, and then over to the right, you're going to see our watch list, and you can scroll through it. You can see there are a ton of good bills in every single state. I tell you, people are on fire to protect themselves and protect their children and to take back freedom, take power away from those who who have grabbed it. And, you know, it's exciting to see it. Yeah, I know in Washington it's a hard push for most of these bills. What's exciting is I'm I'm also active here in my my new state of Tennessee. And what's so exciting is when I go there and a great bill drops, there's a chance it's going to pass, and that's exciting. And you know, the more states where it's passed, then eventually they will also pass in Washington. So. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. A win for one state is a win for all the states. I think so. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. So back to Laura. We got to interview our guest. <laughs> Bernadette likes to talk, so you got to get where. 
get your opinion in there. Um, so, so we went over uh, problems here. So we've got get active by by writing to keep people, by paying attention, following the bills, educating each other. Mm -hmm. um, go ahead. I have something I'd like to add that I wanted to make sure it is included in this conversation, and that is if one does have to go to the hospital for any reason, and I've been saying this for decades, but especially so now, always take an advocate with you. Take a savvy family member, a friend. Um, if you if you have a nurse who is a friend, nurses are the best advocates. Take a health advocate with you to the hospital um, because you don't want to be in a vulnerable position where you can't advocate for yourself. And I, sorry, I, I, I have personal experience with mm -hmm. a friend of mine that uh, unfortunately died. The, the care and the amount of uh, attention that was paid to patients, especially after surgery, was appalling. Yeah. Just appalling. And again, you had to be there watching people and we had to take shifts because at the end, it, they might have killed them just by giving them the wrong medication. But we knew what needed to be done. And we, we were tracking it because the doctor told us, make sure that they do this, this, this and this. And it was just the, the level of care was unfortunately subpar. I'm so sorry to hear that. And yeah. that's unfortunately a common experience. The one of the um, biggest causes of death, and I'm sorry, I don't have the exact statistic in my mind, but uh, hospital errors, medication errors, you're are a huge, yeah, third or fourth leading um, cause of death. Leading yes. cause of death. Mm -hmm. And if you, you need to have an advocate with you to, to help protect you from that. You, you really do. And pre-COVID, anytime a loved one was hospitalized, my family and I, we all took shifts, just like you said, Javier. We never let, you know, there were only two times when, like my pop was in the hospital several years ago that we left him alone. One time um was for maybe two hours and then one of my sisters walked into the hospital room pop was on the dangling from the bed soaked in his own urine mm -hmm. he'd been he had sundowning so they sometimes would have mm -hmm. to strap his wrists to and and he was dangling by the wrist the straps and his alarm was going off and nobody was answering it and the other time he was in the room alone um, wasn't supposed to be alone. Somebody was supposed to be in there, one of the, the nurses or attendants. And I think I had just run to the bathroom or something. And within three minutes, the alarm went off and, and they had left him alone and he got up and fell down and hit his head. So um, anyway, so, you know, not one second alone. One time when he was in there with a couple of people and my sisters and I were down the hall and we saw the nurse come out of the room and start walking toward us. And we said, who's in the room with him? And she said, nobody. And we ran. We flat out ran. By the time we got to the room, threw open the door. He was halfway across the room, teetering. You know, he would have fallen. It's like, you're not supposed to. And it says everywhere, don't leave patient alone, right? Anyway, um, but Laura, what do you do now? We've only got, oh, one minute. When often they will not let you if it's a COVID patient in the room. You know, that doesn't make sense to me because hospital staff, even the janitors, they don PPE to go into the room, personal protective equipment. There is no reason why family members can't also put on the same PPE and go in the room. So I don't believe in the isolation. I want the main thing I want people to know is that every hospital has a patient bill of rights, which every patient um, deserves those bill of rights. And if you're having problems with your loved one, 
demand to see the patient bill of rights, go up the chain of command and prepare. I think everyone should have a um, blanking on the on the name of the form, but like a sort of like a power of attorney, medical directives, a document okay. of medical directives for if you have to go in the hospital with COVID or with anything, um, what are your directives signed by and have someone in your family or a trusted friend be your power of attorney. Um, because you need those kind of legal documents to navigate the system successfully and advocate for your loved ones. That so, is in preparation. That's excellent advice. Thank you so much for that. Um, tell tell us again that every hospital has what's the name of the a patient bill of patient rights. Bill of rights. Okay, and is and it usually have, posted on their website? Yeah, it should be posted on the wall in the hospital, and it should be posted on their website. Okay. And these Bill of Rights are not suspended in times of emergency <laughs> outbreaks, <laughs> I would hope. Um, that might be debatable, but they should not be. They should not be. Okay. Under the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, no. No. All right. Well, I, I hear the music. It means our time is up. So Laura Gabriel, registered nurse, um, awesome person. Thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for your activism and your voice. And thank you, Javier. You've been listening to an informed life radio on 1150 AM KKNW. We'll be back in a few minutes um, and we'll be replaying an episode with Robert LeMay. Hi, I'm Lynn Redwood, president of the nonprofit Children's Health Defense. Our chairman, Robert F. Kennedy Jr., and our entire team are devoted to ending the epidemic of illnesses and disorders plaguing our children today. Through legal action, we're working to hold industries and government agencies accountable and to establish safeguards to prevent further harm. We're working overtime during this COVID-19 crisis to keep you informed about the politics and science of rush vaccine candidates. Freedom and our children's futures have never been more in jeopardy. But we can succeed. With your help, we can stop the devastation and give our children and grandchildren the healthy future they deserve. To learn more about what we're doing and how you can help, visit childrenshealthdefense.org and sign up for our free news. Please visit childrenshealthdefense.org today. Are you suffering from a sinking feeling that the COVID-19 pandemic is being blown out of proportion and that nothing in the news is making any sense? If so, then there is a fact-based, science-driven news show designed just for you. My name is Del Bigtree, and I am the host of The High Wire, the world's most trusted news source in digital media when it comes to accurate, science-based reporting on the COVID-19 pandemic. From COVID-19 vaccine development to mask mandates, school shutdowns to job layoffs, The High Wire goes beyond providing you with the most accurate, evidence-based investigations. We send you links to the sources for all of our reporting so that you can further your own investigation and come to your own informed conclusions. High above the agenda-driven circus of mainstream media, we do not run. We do not hide from the truth. Instead, we walk the high wire. If you care about truth, then join us on Instagram, Twitter, Roku, and our website, thehighwire.com. Informed Choice Washington is a nonprofit organization that advocates for healthy immunity, medical freedom, and fully informed medical consent. The right to make medical choices without coercion is fundamental to our civil liberties and a basic principle in all human rights declarations. To learn more, tune in each Friday from 3 to 5 p.m. to an Informed Life Radio and visit the website, informedchoice.com. 
informchoicewa.org. It's time to take a stand for medical freedom. Go to informchoicewa.org today. We need a Welcome back to an informed life radio on 1150 AM KKNW. I'm your host, Bernadette Pager here with Javier. And for this next hour, um, it's kind of a, it's sad news we have to report. So we learned recently from an announcement from the Washington State Patrol that former trooper Robert LeMay, who we interviewed on December 10th of 2021, has passed away. Robert LeMay was the Washington yes. State Trooper who exercised his religious right to decline to get a COVID shot, and so he lost his job. He recorded his final sign-off from his patrol car, and that video went viral. Various news sources have been reporting that Robert died from COVID, but the family has not yet commented on his cause of death, and we will not speculate. We simply want to honor, sorry, Robert LeMay a man of ethics and courage who continues to inspire us. And we offer our deep condolences to his family. I'd like to read to you his obituary um, that was posted, and, and then we'll play his interview from December 10th. On January 28th, 2022, Robert LeMay Jr., age 50, went to be in the arms of his savior. As was his nature, he passed away surrounded by those he loved most. It is impossible to contain a man who is larger than life to a single column on a page. Still, those who loved him know his qualities and the contributions he made while he was on this earth. As a man, he was selfless, stubborn, and steady in his beliefs. As a friend, he was 80% loyal, 15%, excuse me, this is what they wrote, hard ass, and 5% practical jokes, although some might adjust the percentages. As a son, he was his parents' source of love and joy. As a big brother, he was his sister's inspiration and protector. As a father, he was his children's toughest teacher, most passionate supporter, and biggest role model. As a husband, he was his wife's rock and her selfless provider, the goofy light on her dark days, and her best friend. Above all, as a Christian, he was a warrior for his Lord. It is only fitting that he beat us upstairs, and we cannot wait to catch up with him one day. And now we'll play for you his interview. Thanks, Javier. Thank you, Bernadette. So with that, I'm going to bring on uh, Robert LeMay. Are you there with us? There he is. <laughs> Hi, how you doing? Hi, I'm good. I'm, I'm just so honored to have you on, on the show. It's, it's a pleasure to meet you. I was so inspired the first time I ever saw that video. And I was so thrilled that you were free today to come on and, and talk to our listeners. Well, thank you for having me. I'm, I'm a pleasure to be here. It really much is. Um, over the past two years, so many heroes have been created. And by that, I just mean average people who saw what was going on and found the moral courage to to follow what they believe to be right in their heart and soul. It's not easy to do. And you did it. And you were one of the first. And you did it in a very 
bold and public way that inspired so many people. I mean, the cheers that likely erupted in, in, in people's living rooms and everywhere when they heard you, especially that last bit, which I won't repeat again, um, <laughs> but it was so awesome. But, you know, um, I'm going to back things up a bit because you've been on a journey as all of America, America has been on a journey. So I want to take you back pre-COVID. I want to take you back to who you were as this great straight, as state trooper. You've got a family. Tell me what you thought about pre-COVID. Did you ever give infectious disease like flus and colds and the vaccines that target you know, any infection did, was that part of your life, your, your thought in everyday life? Well, I'll be honest with you <clears throat> to a point it is, I mean, the, the line of work that we're in, we deal with a lot of uh, bloodborne pathogens. So we were always taught about, you know, PPE um, protection prior to being a state trooper. I worked in nuclear power plants. So I was familiar with, you know, things you can't see that can attack you. So it's always part of your job. You're dealing with people, you're wrestling, you're fighting with people. They're coughing on you. They're spitting on you. Um, I've had, I mean, blood on bare skin, um, things of that nature that we've always concerned about, but we always took the proper precautions to make sure we're safe. And, and that was kind of it. I mean, we've had just a whole slew of things. I mean, there's mm -hmm. so many different types of diseases out there right now where I'd be crazy to say I wasn't concerned over the years and, but taking proper precautions and understanding that's part of the hazards of what we deal with and, and we move on. So, and in the past, was there ever a precaution that you were asked to take that they wanted you to adopt as part of your precaution protocol that made you step back and say, no, like you did with the, the COVID shot? Not really. I mean, they, they have the, the different types of shots they offer for you, you know, for hepatitis or um, things like that, that, that you come about in your line of work. And I remember as a, as a young trooper in the Academy, um, they had the, the, medications or things you could possibly take if you wanted to, but it wasn't something that was really pushed. It was more of a, you know, take this just so if you don't want to take it, that's fine, but you need to sign this precautionary document. It was more of a CYA for the state, but yeah. there wasn't one thing they said, you need to do this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, you know, you, you felt respected in your choices. It sounds like it was an informed decision. They told you what was available, what it protected you from and left you to make your own informed decision that's how it's supposed to work. <laughs> right? Um, yeah. And and then so tell us what life was like pre vaccine, but while COVID was going on, um, what was your life? You know, what did you experience as a trooper? Well, when this first came about, um, we knew there was something going across the world, if you will, it wasn't necessarily in Washington State yet. Um, but we were hearing about it. And we were taking the proper precautions. I mean, washing our hands and we always carry sanitizer wipes and, and products in our car to protect ourselves. We, mm -hmm. we carry bottles of bleach and water so we can actually, you know, douse the back seats after people come to, to protect people from, you know, any type of um, diseases out there. I mean, we've mm -hmm. done the regular precautionary issues with that. Um, so we kind of started hearing the rumblings that they were going to start pushing this, this COVID um, program. Well, if you look at some of the states, in particular our state, um, it's ran by a bunch of liberal folks. And it seems like most of the liberal states, um, New York's another one, you know, California, um, it went from ba basically being a let's protect our employees to how big can I get? I want to get onto a, a political level above my pay grade. 
Um, that's my end goal. We started to see that. Um, it was more of a precautionary to, well, yeah, we really need to do this. So when we started asking the questions about, okay, tell us about this. Any of these other things we've dealt with from hepatitis to HIV, um, they've always had very good information and in explaining to us the choices that we had coming to us. This one, they didn't. Even our command staff had reached out to the office of the governor and uh, the health department and asking for some clear directive in regards to personal protection for the employees. And basically, they just got shot down. They said, just trust us. And that's kind of how it went. Yeah, it, it, it's very frustrating. So, you know, and uh, members of the general public were finding the same thing. Show us the science behind what you're asking us to do. Right. And especially when we began seeing um, all of the consequences of the various protocols and the various restrictions that they were expecting to do. And it's as if nothing mattered but COVID. It didn't matter, you know, if your elderly aunt uh, died of sadness because nobody was allowed to visit her. You know, she was sacrificed. Um, somebody who spent 30 years creating a business and it was deemed unessential, they lost that you know, and, and, and everything rippled out, you know, from that, um, mm -hmm. and the deaths of despair, the, um, the heart attacks, it just it's so much, uh, happened and you get nothing. You know, I remember once reading, we were looking into trying to figure out, did they have any clue that they were going to cause this devastation? And in the state of Washington, well, yes, they did, because we found some, um, some early work before they decided to to lock down and restrict society these steps they had gone through reaching out to people to say what will happen if we restrict here if we shut down this and they had listed pretty much a lot of the damage that we were seeing and their their mitigation column their column about what to do were so absurd so like an answer to pe people being really depressed because they've lost jobs they're about to lose their mortgage um, you know, they can't feed their family. It was to set up a hotline for people to call. What? Are you kidding me? Yeah. <laughs> no, you don't make it happen, you know? And I'm so sick of hearing that um, that COVID caused all this damage. No, 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 no. The state response to COVID, the, the federal government's response to COVID caused all the damage. And like my previous guest, Dr. Ted Fogarty, has got at least two winning, safe, available answers to prevent uh, severe disease and death from COVID, he, you know, trying to get those off the ground, yeah. um, impossible. And then, you know, we've got the FLCCC with the ivermectin and all of their protocols, you know, um, it's, it's just, it's just really, it's infuriating. And I can see it. So, it's a lead us up to that moment when finally the mandate came down and you were faced with, and they wouldn't accept your religious exemption or any sort of exemption. How did that work for you? Well, they actually did. So um, we, a bunch of, I'm, I'm a God-fearing man. So it's like, hey, we're going to go with religious exemption. I didn't agree with how they manufacture these drugs or the testing, not to mention it goes against our constitutional rights. So there was two things I was not happy with. Mm -hmm. And then I, I'm trained as an investigator. I'm asking questions and I'm not getting answers. And mm -hmm. to me, that's a big red flag. Um, I have no troopers that I worked with. I mean, they were dropping like flies, physically dropping and being rushed to the hospital. 
I have a 37 year old uh, detective that was on a heart monitor because he blacked out while he was driving after being vaccinated. So when I start seeing people drop around me and I'm not as well versed as your previous guest, I mean, I know there is a lot of good products that are out there that will help and prevent. I know doctors that are trying to prescribe those, but Mm -hmm. when the medical system is actually going after their medical licenses for saying, Hey, there's another way other than these toxicology stuff they're giving you these these scientists, um, I got to throw up red flags. Mm-hmm. So when, when it came to the point of actually doing the um, the documents, we submitted them to the state and many, many of us did. Um, they basically didn't even look at them. They said, yeah, we recognize you have a religious exemption. We got you, but sorry, there's nothing we can do to accommodate you. So therefore you get the vaccination or you're, you're going to be fired. Even though you had safely been doing your job all this time without infecting anybody or anybody infecting you. Um, right. You know, and it's crazy because people in Washington state, even if they work 100% remotely and they never have to see another soul, they're being told that their religious exemptions are being accepted, but they can't be accommodated. Well, the interesting thing, too, is that it seems to vary per agency. Mm-hmm. So, um, like my daughter went to Central uh, University. She was going there. She's trying to finish that off. So for her to actually um, finish school, she was going to have to be vaccinated. Well, of course, she wasn't going to do that. So she dropped out of Central, just short of getting her full degree. Um, now, if you go to University of Washington, if you work remotely, you're required to have a vaccine. Washington State University does not require that. Um, state a- agencies in regards to um, you know what you can and what you can't do, some will say yes, some will say no. Um, DOT is a great example of that. I mean, some people were allowed to stay, a lot of them weren't. So, um, it boils down to, you know, this really isn't a vax vaccine deal. It's, it's a power thing. Um, when you look at at New York city, I mean, that mayor, he's out on the first of January and he's putting down a mandatory vaccine mandate. I mean, that's only for political reasons. Um, Oh yeah. Let, let me share with you. I'm going to, let me see if I can do this again. I'm, I'm again, new at sharing screen here. Let's see. Um, Chrome tab. Let me pick which one I get this one here. Cause you mentioned New York and I just wanted, are you familiar with the COVID and coffee.com? Uh, no ma'am. Oh, I highly recommend Jeff Childers is a brilliant attorney down Florida. And every morning you wake up, you get this email COVID and coffee. And he goes through everything that's going on. And he's so funny and so sharp that this is the, this is today's that he goes, I haven't had a chance to read today's, but I want to find, um, oops, that's not going on. I got to go to back here. Okay, here we go. So every, yeah, I want everybody to hear this too, about how wonderful this COVID and coffee to stay on top of things. It was Wednesday, the 8th, that he covered in New York here. Here we go. He says, well, that was fast. New York City Mayor um, Bill de Blasio's newly announced vaccine mandate on all private employers in New York City has already been enjoined. A Manhattan court yesterday entered an order temporarily stopping the mandate pending a hearing on the full injunction motion on December 14th. The attorney for the plaintiffs is Patricia Finn, an excellent attorney who's been fighting for people's rights for some time in New York. Um, so it's so exciting to see that. Now, um, I know uh, Patty Finn. She's awesome. I, I I'm on her radio show on Monday sometimes. Excellent. And it's so exciting to see these these wins happening. Um, so that's in New York. And then we've got some big ones that are happening that, that are shutting down the orders coming from Biden through OSHA and through so many other, 
you know, my heart breaks for employees who were, who, who got the shot against their free will. And now it turns out that if they waited longer, they might have, but you know, some people couldn't, some people couldn't wait longer. They, they, they felt they couldn't. Um, that's why I admire your bravery because you modeled, it could be done. Well, but, you know, you. yeah, it's sad. You know, I look at the friends around me and again, I'm not as well versed as your previous, uh, person on here, but when I start looking at people around me and I, every time I do a speaking engagement, I have people come up and tell me more about the side effects. I mean, we, we have a friend of ours. She's on a 14 day uh, menstrual cycle. She's got hot spots across her face. And I mentioned that at one rally, I had three other ladies come up and tell me the same thing. Mm. Um, we've had guys with, uh, the part of their faces are paralyzed. Part of their bodies are paralyzed. These are all side effects. So when you start looking at the, actually the COVID disease, if you will, um, the side effects are pretty, pretty light compared to the side effects with this treatment. Um, I was just informed mm-hmm. today of a friend of ours actually is in the hospital and they did the old, you know, let's give them the medications. Let's put them on the tube. And as of today, they're supposed to be pulling her off and they don't expect her to live. She was only on there for a week. So it's, it's disgusting when I hear these, these friends and family members that go have COVID, they do, you know, X, Y, Z medications that are actually healthy for them. You know, and they live through this and then they do what the, the doctors are telling them to do and they die in hospitals. Oh, um, I'm so, I'm so, so, so the person who's going to be taken off the vent had two shots and then got COVID anyway. I don't, I, I'm not sure what she's had for shots, but the treatment, I'm, I'm finding that quite a bit. Oh, we had the remdesivir a, in the vent is killing ma'am. people. Right. So what I have heard though, some of the, some of the excellent doctors out there are, if, if at all possible, what they're recommending, if that's the stage where your loved one is, insist on having them put on hospice and get them home and find a really good doctor who can there then administer the the protocols and at least give them a fighting chance. Like, or like Ted Fogarty said, if you could get them in an H bot, if you could get them some um, N-acetylcysteine and get them in an H bot, maybe things could be turned around. I, I know that's really challenging. It's like, where do we even begin with that? But I encourage people to go to flccc.net. Um, I, um, I believe that might have been where I was first he- hearing that recommendation that you get your loved one home on hospice so then they can have some support um, and and find a good doctor. And I do recommend people find a doctor now before you're sick, before a loved one is sick, right? So you're yes. prepared to keep yourself out of the hospital. And if somebody gets severe, you can have um, the treatment at home. Um yeah, so be, I mean, be careful about that. We have doctors, physicians that are actually doing the right thing, mm-hmm. and the hospitals are actually trying to go off their medical licenses. I've heard oh, that quite yeah. a bit from doctors as well as nurse yeah. practitioners. Right, exactly. And that's, um, I wanted to share that with you too. Uh, what, let me see, I'm going to do this again. Share um, and share. And then I'm going to go to a Chrome tab. I'm getting there. Here we go. Um, so, I've got some posts I'm bringing you to informedchoicewa.org website um, where we give you some action steps you can take. It's going to take each and every one of us standing up. It's going to take a a whole lot of um, just saying no, absolutely, to it. But I wanted to bring on, is this the one I have here? Um, Oh, shoot. I don't have it on the tab there, but you can see. Oh, here's one. 
this is a separate issue, but with nobody really giving any permission, avoiding uh, the legislature, the state of Washington, the Department of Health began a Washington Verify, basically a COVID-19 vaccine pass system. They claim, oh, it's not mandatory. Well, you don't have to make the pass mandatory. You just make the pass available and then private employers make it mandatory or private businesses make it mandatory to get in. And then the states, you know, got the system all set up for you to use. And what's even more alarming than that, that they went ahead and did this, is the fact that they are working very closely as our other states who are doing it with this group called MITRE. You'll have to go back and read the article. We basically have a, a entity with global ties setting up all the states with um, systems that are so similar, they're going to be able to talk and you're going to be able to have a global record yes. of, of what's going on. Um, I thought I had bookmarked and I'm not seeing it. I'll have to, um, but I've got the copies of the letters that, that are going out from the Depart Washington State Department of Health. And this is happening in every state, even the beautiful state of Tennessee, where I am now, which is relatively free. The Department of Health is absolutely captured. Letters are going out, threatening the doctors. If you basically, if you dare give informed consent, they're saying, if you, if you give misinformation, your license on, well, define misinformation. You know, ivermectin works. Here's a hundred studies that shows it works. Here's all the countries that are actually giving it to their citizens in their COVID care kits. It works. What's misinformation? You know, over 900,000 reports of injury reported to the vaccine adverse event reporting system. That's not misinformation. Blood clots, the CDC admits to blood clots and myocarditis and Guillain-Barre syndrome, the paralysis, right? They admit to all that. What is the information you're talking about? The bullying that's happening. But we need doctors to unite. We need all of them to say, I don't care. Take my license. I have I took an oath, right? Doctors took an oath, a Hippocratic oath to first do no harm and to put their patient first. Yes. You took an oath to uphold the Washington state and the U.S. Constitution as a U.S. trooper, didn't you? Yes, ma'am, I did. Yeah. And um, and you honored it. You honored it on that day when you said goodbye. You know, are you the trooper whose wife works in dispatch? Was that your are you the one because somebody quit and their wife was the dispatch person? No, man, that's a sergeant in Vancouver. His wife was actually the one that signed him off for the last time. That's the one I'm remembering. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Good, good man. I, I worked with him quite a bit. Um, I'm a drug recognitions expert. So him and I worked together over the years. Good man. Mm -hmm. um, it's it's the hardening part is, is that you see these families that this agency and this governor has destroyed. Um, and it's not like we, again, we, we're, we're investigators. We ask questions. I mean, I can sit up late at night and I can read about or listen to commercials about some type of medication and all the side effects. I mean, but when I start asking questions about a medication, you're telling me I have to take, or I'm going to get fired mm -hmm. and you can't answer me. They're just, just shut up and take it. I mean, sorry, I, that doesn't go well with me. So that was my whole purpose of this. I mean, we, we didn't plan to, to, to sign off like we did. Um, that was very much a God thing in regards to what's happening. And even now, I mean, I'm, I'm reaching around the world. I've talked to people in Russia, Ukraine, Australia. Um, I'm a simple guy that, I mean, Facebook, I did Facebook just to keep track of my family from Texas. 
Um, I was, I wasn't on Twitter or anything else. And now it's like, I'm trending, whatever trending is. Um, I had to figure out what viral <laughs> was cause I didn't know what that was all about either. Um, <laughs> but the thing, the whole point of this though, is there is, there's a lot of pissed off people in the country, in this state and in the world. And we have to stand up for this. I mean, it, it's your body. You need to make that choice and that decision in regards to what happens to it. Um, and we're, they're not allowing you to do that. They're forcing you to take things that you know nothing about, just blindly mm-hmm. take them. But when you start throwing out ivermectin, which you're exactly right, and it is very successful in the friends and family I know that have taken it, mm-hmm. and they make fun of you. That's horse medicine. That doesn't work. That's been yeah. used for years and years and years. Well, yeah. And, you know, in fact, I recently spoke to a uh, public, I was invited to speak to a public health um, graduate student class. And, you know, these are young people, early 20s, who've been through the whole medical care system. You know, they've, they're working on their PhDs, they've got masters. And um, one of them asked me, one of these students asked me, something to the effect of, well, since ivermectin until now has only been studied as a veterinary medicine, and maybe there's just a couple of clinical trials going on with COVID, you know, and I don't remember what, how she, where she was going with that point, but I said, well, I'm very sorry, you know, you've been listening to misinformation, and I was able to pull up for her. I said it was invented for human use. It won the Nobel Prize for saving human lives. And, and, you know, and here's all the studies on it. Um, I don't remember where I'm going off on that, on that tangent for, but yeah, the misinformation that our own government, you know, I can, I can't forgive, but I expect the pharmaceutical industry to liar, liar, pants on fire. They have a criminal history of killing people and trying to cover it up. It's all about the money. Nobody doubts that. Um, They've somehow figured out how to brainwash the world that if it starts with a V, if it's a vaccine, that um, that somehow, you know, and who one of our wonderful people, I think it is Carl Kanthak, um, a couple of years ago when we were fighting legislation um, about the MMR, what did he, he say? Now, I'm not going to get it right. Carl, if you're listening, I apologize. But it's something like, you know, they just don't have their like their little angels and good fairies in a separate part of, of the company working on vaccines. The, the, you know, the demons are over there working, making the stuff that might harm you, but only the angels are making the vaccines. It's the same dang companies, right? Yes. That have, I, I expect them to try to screw me. So I have to do my medical due diligence. It's, it's medical due diligence. It's um, buyer beware. It's, it's um, consumer protection. All of that applies to vaccines. Um, well, it's to anything. But right. I mean, when, you, when you go shopping, you look at the contents in the box or in the soda can or whatever. You know, that's the thing. And, and part of my job in the state patrol working as a drug recognitions expert, I, I learned about pharmaceuticals. I learned about side effects. I learned about, you know, if you take this drug, you're going to have to take three others so you can actually poop right and actually sleep. (laughs) It goes on and on. And and they'll push the cannabis thing to in this state as the new snake oil, as the greatest things in sliced bread. Well, now you're getting people addicted to that. So it is, you really have to have buyer beware. You have to educate yourself. And you look at hundred years ago, the homeopathic things that we did. I mean, we ate foods that actually were good for our gut. For made mm-hmm. foods, I mean, uh, apple cider vinegar. I mean, I still yeah. drink a shot of that once in a while. Those mm-hmm. are things that are actually good for you. They've been around for a while, but people think it's hocus pocus. Um, well, people think it's hocus pocus because it's been marketed 
yes. by those who don't want cheap medicine. Yes. If medicine was it, it was to become the norm of your food or your um your food to be the norm of your medicine mm-hmm. and and vitamin C and vitamin D and N-acetylcysteine or you know spirulina if people knew, you know, they wouldn't have trillion dollar vaccine programs to ram down your throat and all the medications you need for the injury leading up to that. I mean, you know, it's a vicious cycle. Yes. Um, and, but it's, my, my point was, I expect them to do me harm. What I really anger at, angry at is my taxpayer funded public health system that should be standing between me and the pharmaceutical industry, but instead they represent the pharmaceutical industry. They've got, they've got contracts. I'm, you know, people are tired of me talking about AIM though, the Association of Immunization Managers, the head of every single um, immunization department in every single state belongs to this collaboration of the pharmaceutical industry. And, if, and I encourage every, whatever state you're in, find out when they have department of um, health meetings, if they have vaccine advisory meetings, those sort of things, attend them, you know, um, and you will be absolutely shocked at what you hear because they are just figuring out. It's like, oh, CDC sent us a million dollars. We can buy billboards and radio ads. And, you know, oh, let's let's put out this campaign to help people who are hesitant, you know. And meanwhile, over here, I'm looking at the levels of VAERS data and I'm getting phone calls from people whose mother just died after the second jab and, and, and people with ongoing health issues that are just so afraid, you know, none of that. They, they listen to none of that. And well, the cancers now, I mean, onset dementia, you know, and I, I work a lot with mental health and I start looking at the side effects and these triggers. I mean, one of the studies I was reading is most people actually suffer from some sort of schizophrenia. It's just not come to light yet. So usually a trigger is what causes that. It can be uh, something traumatic. It could be drugs. It could be this vaccine. Mm-hmm. So you're you're starting to con, um, have these different types of medical conditions that they have no idea of what's causing. Well, it's the vaccine. And as a governor, as somebody that actually represents the people, the, mm-hmm. the best thing they could do is is take the information in and say, look, this is the this is the good part of it. This is the bad part of it. If you wish to go forth with this and have these vaccines, that's on you. Here's your research. This is the facts of what's going on. But to take blood money from this, because I know they all are, um, oh, yeah. is just disgusting. Well, and now the schools are taking it now, too. So some yes. of these these big CARES Act, I can't remember the the names of all the things that they're they're just out there printing money and distributing it. Some school districts are getting a hundred million, a billion dollars you know, pumped into their, in the really large school systems, but they have to play by the rules. They have to, every six months, report to the CDC to say that, oh yeah, they're, they're going to be doing this, that, and the other. Um, and yeah, money, money, money is, yes. is just being pumped into it. So that is why we truly, pre-COVID, I have, where's my hat? I can't reach it from here. I've got a hat that says it's separate pharma and state. Yes. Our government and our public health agencies have proven themselves absolutely untrustworthy um, when it comes to vaccines. They need to get out of the pharmaceutical business completely. Vaccines need to go back to being just a pharmaceutical that's on the shelf that individuals can choose or not choose after being given enough information to give either fully informed consent 
or fully informed decline or declination. There's no easy way to say that. But what I do, Bernadette, I am fully informed dissent, fully, fully informed dissenter, because when you dissent, it's not just that you are saying no. I don't know if I can say this on CHD, but I am. I, I say hell no. I, I dissent and I oppose the policy, actively oppose the policy. Yes. So we have to we have to extricate. They shouldn't be prescribing these drugs at all. It's it's absurd yeah. what they're doing to us. Our taxpayer dollars should not go to marketing these products. It's a personal decision. And and the lies, I mean, I don't know how really to get away with it, where you know they're telling the little things that go out on social media saying the vaccines are safe and effective. What world do they live in? It's propaganda. And that's the thing, you know, it, but shame on us too. I mean, before we go out to a, yeah. a doctor's office and I do this all the time, we rarely go to the doctors. We're, we're very, very healthy people. Yeah. But when they start pushing medications, it's like, okay, what about this side effect? What about that? And they kind of look at me puzzled. And it's like, I research this stuff. This is what I do for my job. Yeah. So we all need to take that time and that, that caution. When you take something and you consume something, actually read what's in it, what the side effects are. And if people aren't willing to ask you and answer those properly, right. your questions, then I take a wide berth. Right. Well, there's a couple of things that you hit on that are so important is um, a lot of people, even in the medical field, don't understand what they're dispensing. And I'll give you an example is a couple of years ago when our pop was still with us, he was in the hospital and he had some dementia and he, he would get violent in the hospital. And so they were trying to calm him down enough that we could move him to um, assisted living. Um, they put him on a medication and then another medication. And then I got a phone call and in them briefing me on how he was doing that day, they said he was having difficulty swallowing. And I said, well, that's new. He's a good eater. He says, well, he's not eating. He's having trouble swallowing. So I, I knew he had just told me there was a new medication this nurse did. So I looked it up. In fact, the last three drugs that they had given him all had as a side effect, difficulty swallowing. And, and I went ahead and, um, and told that to the nurse. He says, oh, no, that's not true. I said, I'm looking at the, the product insert. They had no idea that they were giving him three medications that uh, would shut, it, shut him down. And it was, um, it was it's, just, it's just tragic that they don't know what they're dispensing. You know, and kind of back to this, the way I kind of describe it, now the people working in public health are not bad people. I, I really want to make that clear. There are some really good people working in public health, but they're working in an absolutely captured system. And like that that person coming through the public health school at the UW, that person is being fed bad information, not yes. knowing that ivermectin is a human drug, right? And But when they sat around, like in Washington State, they have a vaccine advisory committee, and one of the committee members it, is a... Um, the represents the pharmacy, the, not the, the pharmacy mm -hmm. industry. All she does is make money buying and selling vaccines and other drugs. When they do their conflict of interest statement at the beginning of the meeting, she never raises her hand. Mm -hmm. A pharmacist, do you have any conflicts of interest with this? No raising the hand. I, I've let them have it a few times. Well, it's true though. It's so true. I mean, even in my line of work, when I go to the hospital, I mean, I'll, I'll investigate bad wrecks and I'll ask you, ask them, what are you guys giving them right now? And they kind of look at me 
or I'll say, hey, this person's on methamphetamines. I said, you need to really watch what you're doing or they're on an opiate. Um, when I ask for vitals, let's see what the vitals and they look at me if I'm strange. And it's like, this is where I'm trained. And mm-hmm. I know a lot about pharmaceuticals regarding, you know, the characteristics of it. And that's what I do. But when you start talking that with doctors and nurses, they kind of look at you like pupil sizes. I always ask what size are pupils? And they kind of look at me like, why are you asking that? Well, this drug causes <laughs> this, this drug causes that. So yeah. it's something we can all empower ourselves to do. I mean, there's such an opiate issue right now is what they're saying. Well, yeah, because they prescribe it. I mean, the, the opiates they're having out there now are insane. They used to use them to get people off uh, heroin. And now it's like, this is common for pain because it's cheap. And we want people to get this, but it's highly addictive. So we need to be very, very, very careful about what we consume and what our loved ones consume. And yeah. Especially the geriatric community. They, they pop pills all day long. And some of this stuff is just, it doesn't do anything or it, mm-hmm. it's, it's inflicting on other drugs. Yeah. Years ago, when I worked at the grocery store, I was kind of, they always put me in the natural food department. I was a natural foods manager because even then, you know, and they, they came to me, you know, I'm, I, I used to play a nutritionist and now I, I play a doctor and an attorney, you know, I just like to, you know, they say I play a doctor on TV. Well, Bernadette tries to play one in real life on the radio, but no, you know, I am never giving medical or legal advice. Um, but I am a loud mouth. So, I mean, you know, so, so this gentleman that I worked with, um, had this weird thing happen to him when he, he lost like 60 pounds in a month. He went from, you know, fairly big to just almost anorexic. He didn't know what was going on. He had been to like six doctors and they, they said, we have no idea what's going on with you. And they were running all these labs and all these checks. And he, so he came to me and he said, Bernadette, I said, well, I'd be happy to try to help and tell me what's going on. And I said, are you on any medications? He said, yeah. And he started listing them. And I said, well, why don't you, you know, write down a list of them for me and I'll, I'll poke around and see what I could find for you. And I said, enlist them in order that you were, they were prescribed for you. So I, it went down in order. The first one he, he was put on was like an antacid type um, drug that kind of shut down his stomach acid. And then he started getting into some sort of indigestion. So then they put on like a proton inhibitor, right? Yeah. And then after that, he got this. So it was symptom after symptom. And they were all listed <laughs> in the product inserts. And, and it led him to the point where he basically had shut down his digestive system, his ability to absorb nutrients. Yes. And, and it was killing him. And so I said, well, here's the product inserts here, where is where it looks to me like you're having the symptoms of, and he brought it to the doctor. It was like the Mayo Clinic or something. Mm -hmm. And the doctor said, oh, well, that's only 1% of people. And the guy goes, hello, meet the 1%. (laughs) What? It was crazy. Um, Well, we see that quite a bit, especially people with mental health conditions and the meds they're on to stabilize them. And when I first started doing the research, I was, I had a lot of people that were using methamphetamines to help with their schizophrenia. And I talked to a couple of doctors about, oh, that's not possible. I said, it is possible. It's the same as using, you know, Ritalin or Adderall, whatever it is for people that have ADHD. I said, it works. They take it, they take a little hit of it and they can function. They're, they're within normal zone. Well, next thing you know, there's papers being published on this saying, well, yeah, they're actually, this does work. So um, you're right. They get so pigeonholed in regards to what their brochure says or what their salesman says um, yeah. but they really don't take the time and nothing against them. I know they're busy, but there's a reason why your doctor does not give you directives on how do you consume your pharmaceuticals. It's actually the pharmacist. 
There's yeah. a reason for that. So um, it throws up another red flag with me. And again, in Washington, they're saying, you know, listen to your doctors, listen to your doctors. Well, when you got your doctor scared already of losing their medical license and they only know what they're supposed to prescribe now, yeah. I don't have a lot of faith in them, to be honest with you. And, and you know, the way they crank you through, you know, yes. and as bad as it is with adults, it's even more horrendous with the children. What can you do in a 10 minute visit? You can't listen to the parent. No. You can't really give full information for informed consent to happen. It's just human beings and human health should not be an industry. And yes. sadly, it is the largest industry right now on the planet. Yes. So many people are going broke because they've lost their jobs or they've had to walk away from their jobs. Um, and the pharmaceutical industry is raking it in. But, you know, speaking of jobs, how are you doing? What, what are you doing these days? I'm busy. Um, I'm more busy now than I was when I was stripping. Um, <laughs> when I've you were stripping, did you say? Oh, it's yeah. It's it, well, we use the terminology. We call it trooping. So, oh, I thought you said stripping. Oh no, 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 no. <laughs> nobody wants to see that. <laughs> I thought maybe no. you did a little full Monty thing going on. There. Oh no, no, no. Like I said, there. Yeah, nobody wants to see that. So, um, maybe at a blind strip bar or something. Maybe. To be okay. after that. Um, no, it's um, we've been doing a lot of um, interviews. Um, so I work for a couple of different private security firms. One in particular I've been with for about 19 years. I, he was doing it sideline I was, as I was a trooper. Um, and I called him up when this happened. I'm like, hey, can you guys keep him busy? He said, absolutely. We'll keep you as busy as we can. The yeah. problem is when I'm not over there, I'm not making money. And it's 100 miles one way. I work in most of it in, in King County, Seattle, um, Bellevue area. Um, very supportive of, you know, the mission that I'm on right now, um, all walks of life. It's been just, it's, it's been amazing. Um, a lot of public speaking. I have a lot of congressmen that I'm actually, um, supporting for their run for, you know, U S Congress as well as state. Um, there's no shortage job offers. The problem wow. is, is right now I have no rain on me. Mm -hmm. There's no gag in my mouth. I can say what I want. I can say yeah. what needs to be said. Yeah. Um, and once I go off to a certain entity out of respect, I need to kind of watch what I say regarding their system. So right yeah. now I'm in a good spot. Um, the good Lord's taking care of us. Um, tons of support. Um, I'm getting interviews like this. I mean, I've had, um, I had one this morning. I've had a couple yesterday. I'm doing, uh, personal appearances. It goes on and on and on. So it's important yeah. though. I, I mean, just like yeah. what you're doing, it is so important. We have to take back our, our lives. We have to take yes. back our communities and this is where it starts. Yeah, it, it really does. And it can be really scary. You think your life is going to be a certain way, you know, like when I left Washington State, I figured the house we were in is the house we're going to retire in, you know, this was going to be my life. And when you think about making a massive change, it can be really scary. But then once you begin to go on this new journey that you didn't expect to happen, it's it can be so exciting. And you have experiences that you never would have otherwise. And it, what you said kind of reminds me of, of um, I was in Nashville last week and Dale Bigtree was there and gave this amazing inspirational talk to a whole group of people. And he said something like, you know, as he's going along on in this, you know, at times overwhelming, sometimes scary journey, you know, that he's on with people looking to him. Um, he doesn't always know where he's going to go, when, but when he kind of let go of thinking he has to have all the answers, that he has to, you know, be the one to make it happen and to fix everything, when he trusted that he was just a vessel serving God, serving a mission, 
And if he just put one foot forward, God would put a step underneath of him. So he'd have something to step on. Right. It's, it's a matter. And, you know, I'm putting that in, in, you know, religious terms. Um, and we all, no matter where you are, what your religion or even non-religion, I know atheists who nevertheless believe in the power of life and that all things are connected and that you can have that energetic connection. It, all faiths, all religions lead you to that place of if you honor what you know in your heart to be true and you just trust that going down that road, you're going to be okay, it works out, right? That said, we need to stay together, stick together as a community because there are people for whom there isn't that easy next job. Yes. You know, um, yes. and, and they're giving up a life dream because of this or that. So look around. I'm always encouraging everybody look around in your community to see if you're in a position to help how you can help. And I think going out, forget the dang government, find those entities that have historically always helped the poor and, and people in difficult times, you, you know, you're, you're the churches and different nonprofits, the food banks, all of those places, there's an established network already that we could probably go um, help fund to help people get through this difficult time. Um, well, and you got to look at it too, is you have to put yourself aside. Mm-hmm. It's not about me. It's about all of us. And I was doing a talk uh, just yesterday and I'm telling people, it's like, look, we're not always going to agree on things. We're not going to have the same, you know, walk in life and so on and so forth. But if I love you enough to have enough respect for your decisions and my decisions, mm-hmm. hey, man, we're halfway there. And mm-hmm. we've really gotten away from that. You look at social media is very much into me. What can I do? How much money can I make? And mm-hmm. it's not about me. It's not about you. It's about all of us. And I think if we go in with that passion for each other, we can be successful. And from day one, that's been my mission. That's been my statement. Leave it better yeah. than you found it. Oh, I love that. Leave it better than you found it. That's that's awesome. Well, one of the things about the marketing of COVID responses um, has been the co-opting of the best part of human nature, because most people just want to do right by their fellow man. Yes. We want to make the right decisions. It, in my heart of hearts, after reading all of the science, I truly believe that healthy people wearing masks does more harm than good. And so, and it doesn't protect somebody who's truly susceptible. Even the CDC says they're for source control, not for personal protection. Right. And so, um, so I believe in standing in my informed stance really does help my fellow man, but I'm not going to get in an argument with somebody who only feels safe wearing a mask. Right. No. Yeah. Um, that mutual respect is absolutely essential moving forward. Um, so anyway, the marketing has absolutely co-opted that. And what is frightening is the marketing comes along with saying that anybody who thinks otherwise is selfish, is greedy, is anti-science, is anti-Fauci. <laughs> because, oh, you know, because, you know, um, Tony Fauci is science. You can't doubt. Have you read this book yet? No. Oh, you have got, got to read. Is it pretty good? Oh, it is. It's everything that has happened and, <clears throat> and the journey of Tony Fauci through his career, what he laid out 
that God is here today and what's happening. I encourage you to read this book. Um, it's a big, thick book, fully cited, and um, and um, it's available though on ebook for just two ninety nine right now. Oh, wow. audio and audiobook. If you like to listen audio, which I do when mm-hmm. I'm driving, I'll I'll listen to it that way. And it's in the library system, so you can borrow it. You don't have Excellent. to buy it, though. If you can afford to buy it, I encourage you to keep. It's a number one bestseller everywhere. Excellent. But I'm telling you, you're going to learn things that you are going to be absolutely shocked. It's like the history of public health since the 1980s, and the dirty deals with pharma, mm-hmm. and it's not just COVID that have had life saving treatments squelched because they weren't money makers for the people who are buddy buddy with Fauci and others at the NIH. Okay. Well, I've read some of the documents about AIDS, for instance, regarding oh. Fauci, um, bio- biological weapons regarding Fauci. I mean, there's, yeah. there's a lot of stuff out here. And in, in this state, we have Bill Gates. Who yeah. Suddenly he's a medical physician. So um, it, it is. And I'm finding too, with people that they're so overwhelmed with what's going on, just, mm-hmm. you know, to the point of like, do your research because they look at me, you're just a cop. What do you know? Okay, you're right. But I see this. I see that. You make your decision. And, and that's been my biggest push in Washington is that follow the Constitution. When people are making you do something, you need to start throwing some red flags up, especially when they can't explain it. And that's what we're seeing right now. Um, there's no, there's endless amounts of documents out there to read about COVID and why you should and shouldn't do it, so on and so forth. But people don't want to see that. If it's not in social media and it's not two sentences they don't want to focus on that. So yeah. I've been trying to approach it from a different angle and just supporting people. You make your decision, but this is why me and my family are not taking it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So a lot of that stuff that you read, if you know, it's in, I should say it for the radio audience, the real Anthony Fauci by Robert F. Kennedy Jr. Get yourself a copy, get your friend a copy, send it to your legislator, send it to your doctor, because it lays out that whole history. And you're like, oh my God, I see what happened. I see how we got here and I see what needs to be changed. Right. So we're just about up um, on time here. We're running up against the top of the, oh, I got maybe two more minutes. So good. Um, Oh, Oh, I had a thought of what I wanted to say. I keep squirreling and then I don't um, get back to it. But I'm just going to have my final thoughts here. Go back to you and your inspiration because, you know, when when you've shown us that you can stand in your truth, that taking um, sort of making that sacrifice is worth it because what you do, you are creating the world your children and grandchildren have to live in. Amen. If you want them to live in tyranny and, and especially medical tyranny, well, you just do what you're told to do. Right. Amen. But it's not about us. And, and I thank you for that. I think. And we're back. Um, so that was the wonderful now late Robert LeMay. Uh, it was such an honor to interview him and have that time with him. Um, Javier, I, I don't know if that was the first time you had the opportunity to watch that interview. It was. Yes. Yeah. So he's pretty amazing. You know, in his own words, you know, he said, you need to leave it better than you found it. And I would say that Robert LeMay left the world better than he found it. And I'm, I'm grateful for having met him. Um, and that he was he was on this earth and i i reach out to his family and friends with condolences and um you know i share your yeah. grief he's he's a very good man 
I want to let um, listeners and viewers know that a celebration of life will be held on Tuesday, February 8th, 2022 at 1 p.m. at Stone Church, which is 3303 Inglewood Avenue in Yakima, Washington. Brookside Funeral Home is caring for the family. Memories and condolences can be shared at www.brooksidefuneral.com. In lieu of flowers, donations can be made to the Stop Trafficking Project. They have online donations and also a physical mailing address. It's www.stoptraffickingproject.com. So if anybody could make it or send condolences, um, whose lives have been touched by this amazing man, um, we encourage you to do that. Any final words there, Javier? It's shocking. To, it's shocking to actually see someone who was who died as young. He's he's my age, mm-hmm. and to see him uh, pass away like this is just uh, it's it's heartbreaking. Especially knowing that he has family um, that he's leaving behind, mm-hmm. and that he still has so much more to give. Especially in his work on on human trafficking uh, that he had yeah. a passion for. Yeah. So, yeah. We will do our best to keep his memory alive and, um, you know, to keep on with the mission that he believed in, in ending human trafficking and, you know, getting people's medical freedom back. So we, we honor and love you, Robert um, LeMay. Thank you for the gift of you. And with that, you've been listening to an Informed Life Radio on 1150 AM KKNW. We'll be back next week.